Welcome to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast, helping people who want to improve their health and change their mindset around food so they can live the life they were designed and called for. I am your host, Adrienne Delgado, and in this podcast, you will get practical nutrition and health tips for both you and your entire family. I am a registered dietitian. I'll give you step-by-step plans to reach your goals, easy tips to stay motivated, and my favorite recipes that I know you will enjoy too. Nutrition and health doesn't have to be boring or grueling. Let's enjoy the journey while we strive to reach the destination together. So grab your water bottle and notebook because it's time to get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Nourish Eat Repeat. Guys, you are in for a treat today because we have a very special guest. Jen Reed is a registered dietitian and one of my closest friends in college. In fact, we had all of our classes together. We both shared a passion for nutrition. And I think where we originally bonded was we're both from the same area. So we both grew up in Lancaster County. We went to different schools, um, but Jen and I just had a ball together. We laughed a lot. We commiserated a lot over tough projects. Um, But I wanted to invite Jen on the show today because I knew she has so much wisdom when it comes to nutrition. And so today in this episode, Jen is going to teach us this act of visualization. And it's a form of mindfulness to make sure that what we're putting into our mouths is exactly what we want to put into our mouths. I think for so many of us, our eating habits are simply that, they're habits. They're things that we don't even question because they're just what we do. And some of these habits have been created over times of stress, or some of those habits may have been created when we were younger. And today, Jen is going to help us look into our habits and make sure that what we're putting into our mouths is actually what we want to do. And so she's going to teach us this mindfulness technique that integrates food psychology into her practice and how she is helping her clients be successful. So guys, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's get to it. All right. Well, I am just so excited to have my friend Jen with us today. Um, Jen, thank you so much for joining us. And um, if you can, just tell everybody that's listening a little bit about yourself. Uh, I went to college with Adrian many years ago, and I am also a dietitian. And over the course of the last 17 years of being a dietitian, I've actually worked in a number of um, venues, if you would. I spent 21 years in weight loss and running a wellness center. And I uh, also teach part-time at a local community college. And then on top of all of that, I do two days a week on long-term care. I do a little bit of consulting for that. And I see my own clients now on a consulting basis for my own company. So my days are busy, but they're varied and it moves, it moves pretty, pretty uh, fluidly. When I um, am dealing with a lot of my own clients, and specifically in my private practice, one of the things that I emphasize 
to my clients is the art of mindful eating and food psychology. And so that's an area that I love to talk about and that my clients usually become pretty well versed in. That's awesome. Wow. You have your hands in so many things from, like you said, long-term care, consulting, college classes. That's, that's impressive and probably keeps you on your toes. Right. <laughs> I love it. I do because no two days are the same. My schedule is extraordinarily flexible. It changes from semester to semester. And uh, it just, it does, it gives me an opportunity to, to help as many people as I can doing what I love. That's amazing. When you can find that connection and, and help people and love what you're doing, you know, you found your sweet spot. So I would love to hear more about um, your take on mindful eating, because I think for a lot of us, we've heard of this phrase, this mindfulness uh, phrase, but specifically, how does it relate to food and how does, how do you integrate this into your practice? So uh, mindful eating, if you looked up the definition of it, it is basically when you bring uh, full attention and awareness to the experience of eating. And so I feel in a day and age that when everybody's so hurried, and impulsive in some regards and struggling with their weight, that the art of mindful eating is a lost art. It's something that most people are initially far into and then as they um, start to hear more about it and learn more about it, it really helps them on their wellness and weight loss journeys. The idea of food psychology follows mindful eating in the way that um, we're then looking at what you're eating and how it makes you feel and what kind of behaviors also go with that eating um, as a result of the, the food psychology behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it does, but I think for our listeners, we might need a little bit more clarification. So can you walk us through an example of maybe a specific topic that, um, that you would specifically teach to mindfulness and then on the back end, how the food psychology integrates into that? Absolutely. So when you're looking at mindful eating, you're actually looking at the type, the texture, the smell, the taste, um, and even the sound of the food that you're eating. And you are so much in the moment of that eating that you're taking it in. In other words, it's not something that you do in the car necessarily, or while you're on a telephone call or a Zoom conference. When you're doing mindful eating, you are absorbing the full experience. And so for somebody who maybe is struggling with their weight um, and they might be writing down what they're eating on a daily basis, or in some cases not writing it down and just simply reporting it, oftentimes they struggle to remember those mindless times throughout the day where when you are recalling what they're eating or they're, they're jotting it down haphazardly, when you look at it, there shouldn't be any problem. And then you start to probe a little bit further and you say, what do you do when you're in your car? Oh, I like to enjoy coffee. What's in that coffee? Oh, uh, whatever they stick in it at Dunkin' Donuts. And they don't even have any type of awareness, A, that they had it, or B, what was in it. And so having them think about that sensation of ordering the coffee, smelling the coffee, wondering and tasting what's in that coffee is a, uh, an example of mindfulness that they become so habitual about and they overlook it. 
um, and it becomes so habitual that it never even happened in their world until somebody like a dietitian probes a little bit further. Um, when you're looking at that, then you look at the food psychology behind it. Um, for instance, go back to the coffee with Dunkin' Donuts. If they had that coffee, um, they may or may not have had breakfast. And then they get to work and because they've now had that caffeine and or some sugar that went with it, now they're looking for something um, to eat. And maybe they're already checking emails and they're not even really aware of what they're eating. They're just chasing the sugar rush with now something that's salty and maybe greasy and they're eating and they're not paying attention or even in the moment of anything that they're eating or drinking. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And like you said, it's just bringing that level of awareness that we've lost somewhere along the way. Where do you think that comes from? Why do you think we have lost touch with, with those, using our senses when we eat? I think a lot of it is, is just the level of convenience foods and the scheduling of our days. Um, people are generally pretty poor planned and it's not until they start to focus on their health or weight loss goals that they have this, this new found objective to eat better and they start to become very um, aware that they don't even know where their calories are coming from. They don't know the quality of their calories. They don't even know what foods they like or dislike because it's, they're on autopilot with all of this. And so I feel like it's our lifestyle. And if you don't have a health or wellness goal, you continue on that track. If you do have a health or wellness goal, then you become acutely aware of, of these um, things that you are eating each and every day. And now somebody like a dietitian will bring into your level of awareness what happens when you eat these foods. How do you feel when you eat these foods? Um, what environment are you in when you eat these foods? Yeah. So do you find that this technique is only helpful for your weight loss clients or can this be used in some of your other conversations? Honestly, I think weight management is probably the, the biggest one, but anybody who is prone to anxiety or impulsivity or binge eating episodes uh, will benefit from this because uh, all of those personality types, if you would, like if you're more impulsive or you're more of an anxious individual, those are the individuals that tend to eat um, for emotional reasons or in a very unaware manner. And so even if it's just those personality types that you're educating mindful eating on for maybe just a health purpose, maybe they're diabetic or maybe they have cholesterol issues, but they've never really stopped to even think about what it is that they're eating because they're so impulsive. So would you say that for mindfulness is journaling the preferred method of bringing awareness or do you have any other tips or techniques or tricks up your sleeve? How do you get people to, to first of all, be mindful or remember to be mindful? Cause I think, I remember I heard a quote one time that is like something, I'm going to butcher it of course, but it was something like mindfulness, you know, is, is so helpful. The problem is remembering to do it. So how do you teach those those cues. I'm asking you a bunch of questions, so. <laughs> it's okay. So, and I hope I answer all of them. But when you're looking at um, the behavior, like how do you change that behavior? Yes, oftentimes it will start with someone journaling, but then it takes a second party, an outside person, to probe a little bit deeper. 
and sort of coach them through that. And so they, the client, start to journal their food intake. And then typically a dietitian or maybe even a physician comes in and says, tell me about that. Why do you, why do you have um, coffee every morning for breakfast? And in asking those questions, it sort of sparks their thought process and their, oh, I don't know. I've done it since high school. Well, do you, do you feel full on coffee? Do you feel like you would do better with less sugar in your coffee? I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. And so there's sort of these thought-provoking questions that somebody like a dietitian will come in and use a food journal to, to prompt that thought process a little bit and focus, focus the client's attention on why they're doing what they're doing. One of the things um, more specifically that I often will see, especially in my cereal dieters, is they will say to me, I, uh, I always have a smoothie for breakfast in the morning. And I'm like, oh, okay. Do you do, you do well drinking your calories? I, I, don't, I don't know. I read it in Ladies Home Journal that I'm supposed to do this smoothie. Uh, well, do you feel full on a smoothie? Um, I don't know. I drink my smoothie and then I eat breakfast when I get to the, the office. And then I will probe a little bit further. Well, what is in your smoothie? And they might lay out a list of things that maybe at the end of the list are 400 calories worth of ingredients. And now they're having that at seven and breakfast at nine. And then, then that throws up a red flag to me, of course, as a dietitian that says, you know, maybe drinking the smoothie isn't such a great thing for you. It doesn't appear to fill you the way that it should. Oh, well, I thought it was healthy. I thought I was supposed to be eating. And I'm like, yes, you're supposed to be eating something that's healthy, but it should also be filling and resonate satiety in your brain and your body. Oh, well, okay then. You know, and it kind of gives us something to work with. People hear or read things like drinking smoothies or eating salads, and they automatically feel like that is their path to success. And they're not really analyzing or looking at the mindful aspect of how do they feel on these foods? How long do they feel full? Is this something that makes them feel full and happy? They're just doing it because they read that they're supposed to be doing it. Um, and so when you bring back the art of mindfulness or the thought of food psychology into that, they will say, oh no, I'd totally rather have two eggs um, on a piece of toast for half the calories and I would feel full until 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. And then I will encourage them to think about the difference between drinking something cold and smooth versus eating something salty um, and hot. And they're like, wow, maybe I'm better off with salty and hot than I am with cold and smooth. You know, but that's that food psychology playing into it and enabling them to really process what they're eating and not only what they're eating, but how do they feel on it? Is it really a good choice for them? And is it healthy? Right, hitting both of those things. And right. I think, as you said, I think you've said so many great things um, in that answer because for so many of us, we don't really question why we do things. It's just because we've always done it that way. Like you said, I've done it since high school. I didn't even really question it because it's just something I've always done. 
or we get our information because we're overloaded with so much information, you know, in terms of I should do this and I should do that because I read it or my neighbor told me to do it or my sister-in-law told me to do it. And we don't ever question, is that the right choice for us? Mm-hmm. Uh, we just mm-hmm. adopt it as if it's truth because somebody told us. So therefore it must be true for me as well. And then trying to implement things and then getting stuck and getting frustrated when a, they're not satisfied. B, they're not getting the results they want. And, you know, and that's where when we get frustrated and we hit too many sticky points, we tend to give up. So really, like you said, welcoming in that awareness, is this the right decision for me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, and I know you as well, just because we've known each other for so long. Um, I always adopt the policy of like, we have to find the right diet for you, mm-hmm. not your not your mother, not your mother-in-law, not your sister, like not your neighbor, three doors down. Like we have to figure out what works for you because everybody is unique and an individual and it's not a one size fits all response. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that people are looking for information and that they're willing to try spinach and kale smoothies in the morning. I love their, their optimism there. But at the end of the day, if drinking something cold through a straw leaves you still wanting breakfast, that might not be a great option for you. Or maybe um, we need to work together to find out how we get that smoothie to a point where it is filling and it is satisfying to you, if that's something that really works well in your schedule. But again, like that just goes into that level of mindfulness and this constant questioning of why am I doing what I'm doing and is it working and how do I feel on it? As opposed to just kind of going with the flow and hoping that it all works out in the end. Yeah, yeah, nope, so many good things in that. So are there any other helpful techniques um, besides, like you said, the journaling and then the probing questions? Is there anything, you know, if somebody listening to this is like, huh, I've never really thought about the way things smell or taste or sound even. You know, that's not something we usually associate with our diets is what does the the sound of the food when you're eating it? Um, Are there any other techniques that you use to help people be present and more mindful? Yeah, oftentimes there's the visualization technique. There are actually two things, visualization and then actually almost like a, a meditative breathing technique. And I'll talk about the visualization first. But when you do the visualization, you're actually stopping before you eat whatever it is that you feel like you want to eat and it might be a kale smoothie and it might be a brownie there's no right answer there and you're actually visualizing yourself eating it if i eat that how will it taste how will it smell how will i feel on it Um, there are days where you just want a brownie and if you have sincerely thought through eating that brownie and thinking yes I really want this brownie. And not only do I want that brownie, I want this specific brownie and I'm willing to go get it. And you're putting a lot of thought and energy into it. And you're walking yourself through eating it. You're visualizing it. And it's amazing. It is an, ex- it's an experience. It is a dessert. It's a treat. It's, it's an experience. You can go ahead and eat that brownie and there is no harm, no foul, 99% of the time. The problem is that so many times, um, as parents, I'm sure you can understand this, there might be a pan of brownies sitting in the kitchen, 
Nobody's eaten the last brownie. It's the edge piece. It's dried. It's been sitting there for three days. It's disgusting. It needs to go in the garbage can. But somebody calls and you're on the phone and you're preoccupied. And before you know it, that horrible stale brownie has gone missing. And guess who ate it? You did. You ate the brownie. It was not any type of an experience. It was not an event. It was not awesome. There was no visualization there. And instead you consumed a 200 calorie stale, disgusting brownie and you don't have any memory of it. Um, that is what I'm talking about when I say visualization. Like we have to stop, um, remove any type of food. Um, you know, and if you pace the house while you're on your Zoom calls or, or whatever the case may be, you really need to stay away from the pantry and the kitchen and pace somewhere else. Because when there's that type of constant distraction, the probability of you eating without that visualization is huge. It's huge because it's mindless and it's there. And so we, we pick at it and before we know it, we've eaten it and we don't have any memory of it. Um, so the visualization in what you want to eat and how you're going to feel about it does take a little bit of time, but it's super duper duper important if you wanna be successful at this. At the end of the day, there are no right or wrong answers, but you really do have to envision how you're going to feel and whether or not this is a conscious decision. If you feel great after you've eaten it, no eater's remorse, and your energy level is still high, and it doesn't leave you craving something bigger and badder, if you would, uh, it's okay, it's all good. You've had that wonderful experience, it was a treat, and you can move on with your day guilt-free. Um, if you're not doing that visualization, sometimes we, we miss out and we, we eat things we wish we hadn't and sometimes we don't even remember eating them. Uh, so that's the visualization aspect of it where you kind of just have to stop and take an extra 30 seconds or a minute and think, do I really want this? Is this really what I want? You might do it in a drive-through. You might do it at the supermarket, like just kind of envisioning yourself Am I gonna really make this? Is everybody really gonna eat this? How am I going to feel after I eat this? Is it gonna leave me feeling good and energized or am I gonna feel like I wanna spend the rest of the night on the couch? Um, and so you're just kind of working through that to make the best possible decisions. So Does let me say yeah, for a second, because I just want, so again, so I'm listening, I'm just trying to put myself in my, my listeners' heads here. So what are like, what are like maybe the top three questions I should ask myself during that visualization process because and there's a lot going on there and I, we want to make sure we're asking ourselves the right question so that we can get to the answer that best suits us. Absolutely. So the first thing you can ask yourself when you're visualizing yourself is, um, is this going to taste as awesome as I think it is? Is this really something that is, is going to fill <clears throat> what I am looking to fill? You know, is it a lunch? Is it a snack? Is it supposed to be a dessert? Um, is this going to, to taste the way I want it to, to be? And is it going to fill the purpose that I want it to fill? So those would be the first two questions. And then thirdly, how am I going to feel emotionally and physically after I've eaten this? Okay, awesome. That's really, really helpful because it just gives us a more streamlined I'm all about the practical parts, right? Like we can, it's great to understand the concepts and the why behind it because that connects us to the process. But then we also need somebody to be like, okay, just tell me what to do. Like what are those mm -hmm. steps I can follow? Um, something I think about, and I talk about this all the time with my 
my moms, you know, in my, in my practice is the crust to the sandwich from our children, right? They left mm -hmm. that nasty peanut butter and jelly crust sitting on their plate. They've gotten up and have left the, left the kitchen and we sit there and, or we don't even sit there. I, let me come back. We're cleaning up the kitchen. We see it on the plate and mindlessly more times than not, we're like, I don't want to waste this, even though it's the worst part of the sandwich. <laughs> and then we eat, you know, the crust of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that A, doesn't taste good. B, is all slobbered on because we don't want to waste it. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so, this visualization technique is going to be so helpful because when we ask ourselves, is it going to taste the way I want it to taste? Heck no, no, it's not going to taste great. <laughs> is it going to fulfill the purpose that I want it to fulfill? No, I'm not even hungry. I'm not looking to feel full. I already am. I had my own lunch. And then, um, I, okay. The third question was, is how am I going to feel after I eat it? You know, does it leave me looking for something else? Am I going to feel over full? Is yeah. it going to just leave me feeling guilty? Or, um, you know, do I have that, that food guilt going on? Or do I feel great? Like it was a super experience and it was energizing and I would do it again tomorrow. Yeah. And in the example of the crust, again, no. <laughs> no, I'm not going to feel great. I'm going to be like, why did I just eat that? That was a waste of calories. And then because I'm in so many of my, you know, my female clients head, we take it to that next level of, well, now I screwed up. I ate something that I shouldn't have. So I might as well just keep going because the day is ruined and we spiral again. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. Jen, I love this technique so much. I think it is, it's going to be so helpful. Again, I love your practical tips and, and directing us in the specifics of, of how we can get ourselves to that point where we're making the best decisions for us. And I also love the fact that, you know, this isn't just for junk food, right? You know, what you said, whether we're talking about a brownie or we're talking about a smoothie, Mm -hmm. Right. You know, this is a technique we can do every time we eat. Do you find that um, because it may take our, you know, our listeners a little bit longer to do it in the beginning because it's new and it's mm -hmm. something they've never done before. Do you find that this process does get easier over time or people are able to speed up the process or is it something we don't necessarily want to speed up? We want to take time every time before we eat to make sure it's what we want to do. Yes and no. I mean, I feel like, yes, after you start to learn a little bit more about yourself and kind of what resonates to you, it does get a little easier. I do feel like with the visualization process and just with food and eating in general, it's always good to be a bit on the slower side, that it's not necessarily something to hurry through, especially if you want that food to count. You know, when, and I do, I think again of people struggling with their weight or weight management, so many times they just, for whatever reason, whether it's an emotional or actual hunger, they're not satisfied. And so if they just took a little bit more time to experience the food, experience the taste, experience the smell and visualize the actual eating, uh, they might feel a little fuller because obviously all of that does take some time. One of the things I didn't um, expand a lot about was the, um, the breathing or the, the meditative breathing aspect of things. And that's something that's very time consuming, but definitely for those that 
um, start the visualization process but find that they need more is this idea of meditative breathing. And when you study meditative breathing or um, sometimes it's called tactical breathing, it, or sometimes it's called breathing meditation, it's all sorts of words for it. But basically what it's, what it's causing you to do, um, and this is just to escape stress or anxiety, which often is the prelude to overeating and making poor food choices, is to take a couple minutes and do these breathing exercises that literally take a matter of a minute or two. Um, where you're breathing in, you're holding it for the same length of time, and then you're breathing out, um, say for four counts, four counts, and four counts. And when you're doing that, you're sort of um, decompressing, you're de-stressing, and you're oxygenating your brain and your body all at the same time. And when you're doing that, what happens is we become less reactive and a little more proactive about what our next choice is going to be. And like I said, some people do this for stress management all day, every day, because they are anger prone or they work in very stressful environments and they're trying to be more proactive and less reactive. And in the field and study of nutrition, we can take those same concepts and apply it to eating, where when somebody has irritated us or when we are feeling stressed or depressed or anxious, and the habit is to go into the kitchen and pick or nosh or whatever the case may be, um, you can just take a couple of minutes and breathe. Um, really kind of center yourself to some extent and think, okay, really, is, that, is this really what's going to solve my problem here? Is, is scarfing down crust of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or a stale brownie really going to solve anything? And it just makes us take a sidestep and just pause, breathe, oxygenate, and then recenter and go forward. And so that tactical breathing or that meditative breathing is so important. Um, and sometimes people will need to do that before they actually get to the visualization of it because they've kind of stopped themselves. They've seized the moment and now they're maybe moving on to something else or maybe they're still like in the moment where they want something to eat and now they're going to visualize what that best option is. They're not reacting anymore. They're being proactive. Okay, now I'm going to go into my visualization and I'm going to, you know, sit here and think constructively about what I should be eating um, instead of reactively shoving food in my face because it seems like the, the fastest answer. And we all know it's not the fastest answer. Of course, it's not the fastest answer. And it leaves us with, with horrible guilt um, and that downward spiral for the rest of the day. So a lot of times that meditative breathing is sort of the prelude to the visualization. So I just wanted to explain that a little bit further uh, for anybody who was who was wondering. Yeah, I think there's some, I, I like to call them pause points, right? Like we need sometimes to just take that breath and make sure that we're in a good headspace so that we can answer those questions appropriately. Because when you're in a stressed out state and you're like, is it going to taste the way I want it to? No, but I don't care. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you get that real defiant, almost rebellious mm -hmm. um, place in your, you know, which is not, not helpful at all. And so, if, I mean, I know even for myself, I've had those moments where I'm like, should I be doing this? No, but I don't care. I just want to do it anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. And really what I needed to do was take those couple deep breaths, quiet my mind a little bit, so that I could ask myself those questions and get a, uh, a healthier response versus a rebellious response. So Absolutely. I, I think that was a really good point to add to that. Um, Jen, this has been fabulous. Honestly, I've learned so much myself.
And um, I know this is going to be helpful to so many other people. Are there any other concluding thoughts you'd like to add or anything to um, help our listeners? I don't think so. I mean, there's lots of research. There's a Center for Mindful Eating, believe it or not. There's a whole, there's a whole organization that deals with it. Um, the whole idea of food psychology is an up-and-coming um, field of study, believe it or not. You can get a bachelor's degree in food psychology these days. Uh, so it's very on the cusp. It's very, it's very present. It's not hard to find resources on this. But the biggest challenge that uh, everyone, everyone looking to implement this is going to have is, is putting it into motion and really being able to process the whys. Why am I doing this? Why do I care? Why do I want to change? And really being real in that moment and focusing on that honesty. And sometimes um, we avoid that for one reason or another. It's uncomfortable. It causes change that maybe we're not seeking. It's behavior change that we're not prepared to undertake. And so I just I challenge everybody to, you know, just kind of even contemplate it, think it over, practice it on a very low level before embracing it. But if you're truly stuck and weight is truly a problem for you, and you're truly an impulsive type of person or you live a high-stress life, this might be a little tool that you can add to your tool bag and really be um, very helpful. And over time, you get much better at it. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. So this has been wonderful. Jen, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for, for being here. Um, as you know, we always conclude all of our episodes with a recipe. So I'm hopeful and I'm excited to see if there's a recipe you'd like to share with us all. Yeah, actually, um, this time of year with our garden in full tilt, as I imagine that most people's um, gardens are <laughs> being very prolific, um, we like to do, we call them eggplant pizzas. But basically, you're going to take eggplant and you're going to slice them in medallions. So you're going to slice them in the circles short-wise. And then you're going to lay them onto a baking sheet and pop them into the oven. And just at a very low heat, you're attempting to dry them out to some extent. You don't want a lot of moisture on them. Pull them out after 10 or 15 minutes. And then you're going to layer each of those medallions with a slice of tomato. Fresh tomato, again, they're in the garden. They're, we don't know what to do with them. They're all over our kitchen counters. But you're going to slice the tomato. And um, then you're gonna top it with a little bit of mozzarella cheese. You can use a part skim, low fat. You can use buffalo mozzarella if you want. Real thin, slim, thin slice for that. And then a little bit of basil, fresh basil preferably. And then a little teeny piece of prosciutto. And you're gonna pop it back into the oven under broil. And you're gonna let that cheese get really brown, super bubbly and pull them out and voila. There you go. At our house, it's a main dish, just because I could eat it and eat it and eat it, but sometimes it works very well as a side dish. Um, they are definitely better served hot versus cold, but it's a very quick side dish and it uses tomatoes and eggplant, which we all have an abundance of right now. Yeah, so, okay, so quick question. Let's go back to, you said we wanna dry out the eggplant on low heat. So are you talking about like 200 degrees? Are you talking about 300 degrees? Um, it doesn't really matter. Keep an eye on it. You know, some people, um, the more moisture there is on that piece of eggplant, the more it's going to break down. So if you want to kind of be able to pick it up and eat it, the drier, the less moisture that's on it, the better. But if you're going to eat it with a knife and fork, it's, it doesn't make any difference.
degrees. Yes, you could do 200 degrees. You could do 300 degrees. Um, you're just popping it in there for a couple of minutes. Usually I do it while I'm out picking the basil and slicing the tomatoes. Uh, so it's, it's nothing, there's no art to it necessarily. You're just looking to pull as much of that moisture out of there as possible. Another method that some people will use is they might put a little bit of sea salt on it and dab it, let it sit on the kitchen counter and dab the moisture that, ex, that sea salt extracts with a paper towel. And they'll just go ahead and lay their tomato on it and they won't pop it in the oven at all. That's fine too. Okay. Yeah, some of my listeners are, are new to cooking. So, you know, it's one of those, okay, no, no, don't just say it's a, like, whatever. No, no, no. Give me the specifics. What temperature? How long? Um, and I know you're a specifics. You like specifics. I maybe it. I'm projecting onto my listeners. <laughs> I'm really talking about myself. Let's be honest. And <laughs> what do I do? Don't give me big comments. Give me the steps. I want to be successful the first time. <laughs> Uh, well, that sounds delicious. I'm definitely going to be trying that in our house as well. So, Jen, thanks again for being with us today. Um, like I said, I, I know I've learned a lot, and I know it's going to be helpful to a lot of people, too. Super. I'm happy to have been here, and it was my pleasure. Yes. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have for this week. I hope you have an exciting week ahead. Please do try some of these techniques that Jen talked about, as well as this amazing, tasty recipe. And I'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Nourish, Eat, Repeat podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please rate, review, and share with others so we can reach and help more people. For more information about nutrition, how to work with a dietitian, or about any of our programs, visit our website at bodymetricspa.com. Or you can find us on socials. We're on Instagram at bodymetricshealth or on Facebook at bodymetrics health and wellness services. The book, Nourish, Eat, Repeat, is available on our website and Amazon in both paperback and ebook versions. Once again, I'm Adrienne Delgado, and I'll see you next week.